Awesome. Um, we are going to jump into a new series today, and uh, we're going to talk about being uh, forgiven, and we're going to talk about forgiveness. And as we jump into this uh, new sermon series, we are going to uh, just begin with a little bit of a story, uh, kind of a unique story. And if you could throw that up there, Ginny. Uh, uh, we're going to be looking at the, the book of Philemon today. It's this tiny, weeny little book in the Bible. This is really hard to find. Uh, but it's this little book with a cool little story behind it, which is kind of a good introduction to the idea of forgiving and forgiveness. The story is about Paul, the Apostle Paul. You might know him. He's kind of, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, kind of a big church uh, leader guy. Uh, well, he's under house arrest in either Ephesus or Rome. We don't know for sure. But he's sitting in his house chained to a Roman guard. And uh, he meets this guy named Onesimus. Uh, we don't know exactly how he meets him, whether he was in prison with Paul or just he showed up at his house because he was still allowed to have visitors. But, uh, and, and he leads Onesimus to Jesus. And in chatting with Onesimus, Onesimus begins to tell the story of his life, that, that he was actually a runaway slave. And he, run, he had run away from uh, his master, whose name is Philemon. And you can imagine Paul, when he hears this, going, really, like the Philemon from Colossae, the city of Colossae? And Onesimus is like, yeah, that's my master. And Paul's like, I know the guy. I know this Philemon dude. And, uh, and Paul's like, I led him to Jesus too. And, and because Onesimus is a runaway slave, and because Paul now knows Onesimus and he knows Philemon, uh, Paul begins to put the gospel, move the idea of Jesus into the situation. And he writes a letter to Philemon about Onesimus asking Philemon to do something which was really radical in those days, which was to forgive Onesimus and to free Onesimus as a slave and to actually no longer see Onesimus as a slave, but actually as a family member. A very radical thing when the day when the whole Roman Empire was filled with slaves, I mean, 30 to 40% of the population were, were slaves. The whole economy was based on that. It was just a normal thing. And yet here's this little book in the Bible that has a powerful message. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so uh, I don't know if you ever wanted to read someone's mail. Sometimes I do. Uh, but we actually get to because this is actually like reading someone's mail. Because this is actually like this was this originally a letter that Paul wrote to Philemon, a personal letter. Uh, it was also kind of cc'd to the church he was a part of. But it was a personal letter. In fact, most of the New Testament books actually are just letters that have been collected. I mean, we saw the advertisement for 1 Corinthians. It actually was just a letter in a series of letters. We don't know what they were. It was probably like 4th or 5th Corinthians because if you read Corinthians, there's a lot of things that actually don't make complete sense because Paul is answering questions from previous letters that we don't have. And so uh, a lot of them are just letters. And we happen to have this letter of Philemon that was collected and it was put in the, in the scripture. And so that's what we're going to be reading at today. It's only 25 verses, so we get to go through the whole, the whole letter. But Paul begins, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. And he says a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he's in prison because uh, he's a church leader. And when Christianity began... Um, it was kind of looked down upon by many in the Roman Empire because it was more of a private belief system. People met in their homes and it was kind of this private thing where the religion of the land was very public and you did, did everything publicly. And because 
the Christians met in their homes. There were all kinds of suspicions around them, and sometimes it got Christians in trouble. And sometimes it was seen as, they actually called the early Christians atheists, believe it or not, because early Christians believed in one God when the standard practice was to believe in lots of gods, and so they actually called the early Christians atheists. But anyways, it got them in trouble sometimes. And so we see sometimes uh, church leaders ended up in prison or in jail, and Paul is under house arrest. So he's in a house, and he's chained to a Roman guard, either 24-7 or a lot of the time. And then he relies on his friends and his buddies to come and bring him clothes and bring him food. And Timothy is often with Paul because Timothy most likely is the one who actually wrote out the letter. In fact, Timothy wrote out a lot of the New Testament letters. Paul didn't himself. Paul would have dictated them. Some people think that because uh, people suppose Paul had eye issues or some reason he couldn't write. But Timothy is the one who is writing this letter. And it's to Philemon. And he says, our dear friend and fellow worker and Aphia, our sister, who was probably Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, who was probably their son, and to the church that meets in your home. And because Philemon is actually mentioned in the book of Colossians, they think that Philemon, um, that he was the, his house was where the church of Colossae actually met. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church of Colossae met in Philemon's home. And uh, it didn't say they met in like a church building like the Junction Church. They met in a home. And this is how for the first uh, number of hundreds of years of the church, they didn't have church buildings. Uh, they didn't have places like this. They met in people's houses. And they would meet as groups of 10 and 20 and 30. Uh, it wasn't until much later that they actually began to build church buildings. And part of that was because uh, sometimes Christians were persecuted and they didn't want their buildings burnt down, but they, they met at homes. In fact, the oldest church building that they have found is from the year 233. It's in Syria. And even that, they say, was a house that was maybe later converted into a church building. And, and then we have another very, one of the, the second oldest churches that we know is from about 300 AD. And that is in, in Israel. And the cool thing about this church is, it's got this beautiful mosaic they found on the floor. And all these early churches don't have any symbols of the cross in them because the cross was not used as a symbol of Christianity until the third or fourth century where it began to gain traction. I mean, in the early days, I mean, it was a torture device. It'd be like us hanging an electric chair on our neck. Uh, that's how they killed people. It wasn't a symbol until later on, though at times they began to use it to mark their forehead uh, with a cross at times. But the fish actually was the sign and the symbol of early Christians. And, uh, and one of the, the main reasons is because the Greek word for fish became an acrostic. Uh, the words stand for Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. And so you still see that. Some folks use the fish as a symbol of Christianity or see on the back of someone's car. And then sometimes you see people tweaking that with legs in the bottom and being silly and stuff. Uh, but it's the fish was the sign of the early Christianity. And at times when Christians were persecuted, it was almost a secret symbol. They could use their foot and they would draw it in the sand. And if the other person drew one as well, they, would knew that, they knew that person was a Christian. And so that is the symbol they find in these early, early church buildings. But again, the church didn't meet like this. They met in, in small groups and in homes. And, and, and today we have both. There's churches that meet in their homes and there's churches that meet in buildings. And we have everything in between. So it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you being active in sharing your faith, uh, or I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And that's a beautiful prayer, that we might have a full understanding of everything we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And it's interesting that Paul is, is just blessing Philemon. And yet he's in prison. I don't know about you, if I were in prison, I'd probably start with complaining, like, you know, this is horrible and you need to be praying for me. And yet Paul, is, he's, he's, he just loves people. And he's blessing, and he's even praying for, for, for Philemon, even though Philemon is doing good. And sometimes we make the mistake of only praying for people when they're doing crappy. But here Paul is actually praying for Philemon when he's doing well. And, and he says, I always remember you. I remember you in my prayers at all times. And that was Paul. He was constantly, constantly praying. I mean, how many people in your life could you say, I'm constantly praying for you, or I'm always remembered you in my, in my prayers? You might say, well... You know, my family and maybe one or two other people, that's it. But Paul, in so many of his letters, says this. In Ephesians, he's like, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Or Colossians, we always pray for you. To the church of Thessalonica, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And in Second Thessalonians, so we keep on praying for you. I mean, Paul prayed a lot. And maybe he knew something that sometimes we forget, and that is prayer changes things. Prayer works. And maybe we could assume for some of these, like Ephesians and Colossians, because those were also written while he was in prison, that he had time to pray. But, I mean, he's just constantly praying for people, and, and we need to be praying for people. Not just those who are hurting, but those also who are doing well. And that's what Paul is doing. And then in verse 8, he says, Therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. So Paul is getting to the ask. He's going to ask Philemon to do something here. But he says, you know, I could order you around and I could come and, and, and command you to do something, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. And, and that is awesome. Because, you know, sometimes folks in this world operate in the first half of this verse rather than the second. I mean, they command people around and they want to let you know that they're in charge and they have every answer and they're going to boss you around because they know right and you don't know right. And that's not a good way to lead. Paul says, I'm going to appeal to you at the emotional level. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. In fact, if you're a leader or a business owner or a mom or dad or you have influence on in other people, take a word for Paul appeal to people on the basis of love. Matthew, uh, in, in chapter 25, Jesus said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And Paul's living that out. I mean, he says, you know, Philemon, I could command you as the apostle. I could say, you know, this is the apostle. You've got to listen to me because, you know, i got a pipeline to God and you've got to listen to me because he's going to appeal to him through the heart. And this is probably one of the most powerful lessons that for you who are parents is to learn this, is to, to parent heart to heart, not from power and control. You've got to capture the heart of your kids 
because you need to help them see and be motivated from the heart rather than just submitting to your authority. So here he goes, he begins to ask. He says, I then as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Anisimus. And this must have shocked Philemon <laughs> reading this. He's, he's probably like, wow, I got a letter from Paul. This is amazing. But he's like, Paul knows Anisimus, my runaway slave? How in the world? And you talk about connections. Because Onesimus runs away from Philemon. And somehow in the circle, Paul meets up with Philemon. Maybe he began to be interested in Jesus and Timothy brought him to Paul. Or maybe he ended up in the prison circles. We don't know how. But Paul again is writing to Philemon saying, Hey, I know Onesimus. And, and Paul says, I appeal to you for my son. He calls him my son. Who became my son while I was in chain. Meaning that Paul actually led Onesimus to Jesus. And formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And you might say that was kind of rude of Paul to say that. Formerly he was useless to you. And sometimes we lose things in translation. And we lose things because it was written 2,000 years ago. We lose things because it was a different language. But the word Onesimus, and sometimes you'll see that in the little notes in the bottom of your Bible, it means useful. It's kind of supposed to be sort of funny or a play on words. And then he says, I'm sending, him, uh, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would I have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. Again, Paul is a humble leader, a gentle leader. He is a servant leader. I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you, uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. And then he says this powerful line, No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, Paul says, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And, and we're going to come back to this verse in a moment, but he continues. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So Paul is, is challenging him subtly. Again, it's gently, it's with consent. He's basing it upon the heart. He's not trying to force him, but he's saying, I want you to receive him as a brother, as a family member. I want you to receive him as you would receive me. And you can imagine Philemon how he would receive an apostle into his house. I mean, imagine if your Christian hero showed up at your house, how you would probably treat that person. That's what Paul is saying. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. There's a whole gospel message right in that verse. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. As what Jesus said. He took all our sin, brings it upon himself. And then... This is I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self or your very soul, meaning that Paul was the one who brought Philemon to Jesus. And you notice here it's in italics. Some, some of your Bibles might have it in capital letters because this is the little sentence that Paul himself wrote. The rest was probably dictated by Timothy, but Paul with his scratchy, maybe bad eyesight, he, he writes this with his own hand, this one little sentence. Because he is letting him know that, again, that Philemon owes him his very soul because uh, Paul led him to Jesus. And he says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And so let's jump back to this phrase. Philemon, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Welcome him as you would welcome me. And in that, Paul is gently asking him to, uh, to, to see his freedom, to forgive him, and to see him as a family member. And, and this would have been radical, because in that day, I mean, masters were owners of their slaves. Uh, slaves didn't have any rights. Uh, sometimes they were brutally treated. Sometimes they were treated very well. I mean, uh, slaves could be doctors and accountants, and they could be people who worked in the mines. Some people think Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, was a, 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 a doctor who may have been a slave at one time. Uh, but he's asking Philemon, I want you to welcome him back as you welcome me, which is implying this deep kind of forgiveness, which no master would do in those days. But as a kingdom principle, we are to forgive radically. As Colossians says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And, and, and a lot of scholars think that Philemon probably, or uh, Anisimus probably would have stole stuff from Philemon as he ran because, you know, how else was he going to live or make money or survive? And so there are probably things that needed to be forgiven, perhaps on both sides. But this phrase, have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother, actually became a, uh, a beautiful phrase that was used in the, the abolition, uh, abolition movement where, where people were trying to free slaves. And in Galatians, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This phrase, based on Philippians chapter 6, um, this uh, little image here was actually back in the 18th century during the abolishment movement where they were trying to work to set slaves free became this, this viral medallion. In other words, it went everywhere. It was kind of like a viral tweet or a viral Facebook post. And, and it says, uh, I am a man and a brother. And it's based on uh, Philemon verse 16. And it became this powerful image that was used and spread throughout the, the time of uh, abolition and the freeing of slaves. And this uh, book of Philemon is also related to the song, O Holy Night. In O Holy Night, it, uh, it says, Surely he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression so, so shall cease. And, and there's this phrase from Philippians, uh, uh, Philemon, verse 16. And you know, there's an interesting story behind O Holy Night. Um, based in Europe, way before the slavery, there was a pastor who was like, you know, I want a beautiful Christmas poem uh, for, for Christmas service. And he asked a friend of his who was a, a poet. He wasn't a Christian who wrote this song, by the way a non-Christian, he, he wrote this poem. And as he wrote it, he was like, this is too beautiful to be a poem. We need to, we need to get a, some music behind it. And so this non-Christian poet asked another non-Christian musician to write the music behind this song. And so these two non-Christian dudes actually wrote this song and they brought it to the church and people loved it. But it, wasn't, it was a little while after people found out, it was like, what non-Christians wrote this song? And they began to kind of ban the song. And so it was kind of put away for a while and then someone brought it to North America. And in North America, people began to sing it again. It actually became an anthem for the abolition movement. A powerful song that was used 
uh, to in the, in the setting free of slaves. And then, of course, this is just a beautiful, beautiful Christmas song uh, now, but based on Philemon verse, verse 16. And then he finishes the book. And he says, one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And it seems that Paul was. His prayers were answered. Again, prayer works. Paphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark and some guy that starts with A, and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's the end of the letter. Maybe, maybe Philemon wrote a letter back. We don't know. I mean, there seems to be lots of other letters surrounding different biblical texts that we don't have. We don't know what happens. Did, did Philemon forgive Onesimus? We don't know for sure, but, but most likely... Uh, because we do know, at least somewhat, at least according to church tradition, that this runaway slave later on in his life actually becomes the bishop of Ephesus. And uh, many church traditions actually celebrate him as a saint. Um, and uh, he is Onesimus, bishop of Ephesus. And he actually has a day. February 15th is his day of remembrance. And so, I mean, we just got to fill in the holes that, that perhaps, at least hopefully we think, because if we can see Philemon's character that he did forgive Onesimus and Onesimus forgives Philemon and maybe they work together in the church of Colossae and eventually he actually becomes a bishop, which is a powerful story about how powerful it is when you come alongside somebody. I mean, here is a runaway slave who in the Roman Empire could have been killed by his master, trashed by his master, thrown into prison, you know, trash, you are no good. You are just a runaway slave. And here Paul comes along and builds him up and leads him to Jesus and, and steps in and intervenes between this messy situation. And then perhaps there's forgiveness. And, and all of a sudden this guy goes from, you know, runaway slave who could have been forgotten and left for dead. And he ends up a bishop of Ephesus. I mean, the difference you can make in someone's life when you come alongside them. I mean, there are people that you may look at and you say, you know, there's, you're hopeless. Or there's not, you know, you know, but I tell you, when you come alongside something, you can change their world. You can move them from runaway slave to bishop. You can move them from, you know, wanting to commit suicide to becoming someone famous or someone who makes a difference in this world, someone who has a family or someone who is loving people. I mean, build into people because that's what the gospel is about. And Paul is living this out He's saying there needs to be some reconciliation here. So he steps in and writes a letter. Now, who is that Onesimus in your life? Someone that you know who is like a runaway slave in your world, who is hurting, who is down, who is beat up, who needs your love, who needs your attention, who needs you to step in like Paul does and, and intervene for them and, and be like Christ and to build them up and to, to bless them with the kingdom, but also to help them practically in this world. Father, if there is any Onesimus in our life, anybody, God, that you want us this week to encourage, to come alongside, to bless, to lift up, God, would you just drop that name into our spirit? And maybe if it's you, if you feel like today you're the runaway slave and that things are falling apart, would you just ask for a Paul? Would you ask for someone to come in and intervene?
And there are times when we get no human help. And that's where God comes in. Because God will never leave us nor forsake us. He loves us. He forgives us. He's with us. And so, God, we thank you that though may everyone else forsake us, that you are there. We thank you that you love us, that you meet with us, you bless us, and that you are good. And we can rejoice in you always. In Jesus' name, amen.